Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the head of global marketing at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is part of our expert series featuring Elevate's Stephen Allen and Hogan Lovell's Susan Bright. Susan and Stephen discuss innovation, creating change, and ESG, specifically diversity and inclusion. So welcome to another Elevate podcast. This is Stephen Allen. I am the Vice President of Get Shit Done at Elevate, and it's my great pleasure to talk to one of my favorite people in law, Susan Bright, who I had the pleasure of working with for four years. She's the Global Managing Partner for Diversity and Inclusion and Responsible Business. Before we get into the meat of the podcast, do you want to just give people an overview on your kind of responsibilities with this role, which I know is a a fairly new role? Yes, of course. It is fairly new. I started the role July of last year, 2020, but was not able to make as much progress as fast as I wanted because I was also finishing the last six months of my role managing our business in the UK. So I had a pretty busy six-month period of time. The new role, though, covers, as you say, diversity and inclusion, which has been a passion of mine forever. In addition, the responsible business piece covers a growing range of different things, to be honest. It covers well-being globally, critically important always, but particularly right now. Also, pro bono and fundraising partnership type work. So the work that we do in our communities and our pro bono legal advice, and then sustainability as well. I also have a role as the one of our two lateral hire partners as well, which is really great because I can bring that diversity and inclusion lens to that particularly important part of what we do. Big role, lots of things to do, and it's really exciting to be able to do that at this stage in my career. Absolutely. And of course, you're still a partner in a successful competition and antitrust practice. But I really wanted to touch on two things I think are interesting because they're about driving change and purpose. So I want to talk to you a bit more about your new role in diversity and inclusion. But before that, as well as being UK managing partner and an antitrust and competition lawyer, also was one of the driving forces behind what you call Project Redefine, which was really about helping redefine the purpose of Hogan Lovells and then kind of moving into innovation. Do you want to give us a bit of a background kind of how that started and then what you did? Yes, absolutely. So this winds us back um, a while to really the starting point of our previous CEO, Steve Immelt, when he came into his role as the CEO for Hogan Lovells. And he was really keen to look at all aspects of our business in terms of both the products that we deliver to our clients and also the way in which we deliver legal services. And he came up with the idea, which became Project Redefine, which was to look at all aspects of our business and think about ways in which we could innovate and do things differently. And I remember at uh, an offsite, he was dividing out jobs, if you like, amongst the uh, global management team. And and I got to take on the sponsorship and leadership of Project Redefine. And it was a fascinating experience for me, Stephen, because it really moved into a wide range of things. It was really about change and transformation. For me, it became about purpose. It became about engagement. And there were really three elements to it. So there was a series of projects, if you like, that came out of it, things that we were going to have teams of people looking at and doing differently, whole series of them around different themes. 
Then there was the engagement piece, which we ultimately called Let's Go, which was about engaging everybody in our business from the most senior partner to people in our post rooms. And it was really about engaging and getting ideas about how do you innovate. And then thirdly, there was the piece around really trying to surface and then share innovations in our business. We are a global law firm, complex organization. You can have innovation happening in our office in Perth. And how do you surface that? So the way that we did that was through having an internal competition in order to bring up those innovations and then be able to share those and recognize people who were innovating. And we can unpack all of that, Stephen. But it was, if I just start off by saying, for me personally, one of the really interesting things, and I think this is because I'm a lawyer, was being told, go and try some new stuff. And it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail, Susan. Can you imagine what that feels like as a lawyer to be told it's okay to fail? Really, really uh, energizing. Mostly what we're doing is making sure that we advise our clients and make sure that there isn't a failure. And so it's a very different sort of mindset and very, very liberating. And what I learned was if you're going to fail, do it quickly and learn from it. Yes. <laughs> learn from your failures. I also learned through that period of time that often it's the failures and the learnings that you take from those failures that actually can grow on into being successes. So a really fascinating experience, learning how change is really hard, especially when you're trying to create a cultural change and creating a mindset of innovation and trying to create a curiosity within everybody about how could we do this differently? And I think this was a piece about it that I love most was the engagement of everyone. Because often people try and innovate top down, but this was top down, bottom up, in the middle, bit of a bonfire, if you like, in the middle of our organization. We had what we called the Project Redefine 75. It was a group of sort of change makers or champions, all of whom were pretty junior in the organization. And that was really, really exciting because you were getting that different perspective. And a big piece of it was around, well, what does innovation mean? Because again, amongst a law firm, we're quite conservative. We like to think that we're not hierarchical, but of course we are. And trying to create change in businesses that are actually doing really well is hard. Why should people do things differently? If you want to innovate and you've got a burning platform, there's a real incentive yes. to do that. Whereas when you've got a business that's actually performing really well, much harder to engage people to think, okay, well, the world is going to change. And how are we going to be at the forefront of that change? How are we going to look ahead and think, well, what are our clients going to need from us? How can we really help them to think about things differently? So very, very, very exciting being involved in that and, and seeing that change slowly happen. Often it was about helping people to understand what innovation means, Stephen. I mean, you're very innovative. You create those connections and those dots across all sorts of different areas. And a lot of people find it really hard. But getting across the message that when we say innovate, we don't mean find the next amazing medicine or the next vaccine for COVID or something. What we mean often is, well, what's the little marginal change that you can make that's going to improve that process or that idea, that little bit? And I'm a real believer in harnessing incremental change and adding up lots of little innovations to create big change. And I mean, we all know that you change people from being really excellent cyclists to being, you know, world champions by those little gains that you add together. Just to give people a flavour of the sorts of projects that came out, was there anything that you felt was a particularly 
good outcome from that process? There were a range of things. I looked back at some of the things that we did, Stephen, when I was thinking about this conversation with you. One of them made me smile. It was rollout link to collaborate <laughs> to collaborate around the firm. And collaboration has changed over the last 12 months. This is going back a little way. These things sort of seem very routine and ordinary now. But one of the ones that was most successful was led by one of my partners, Nicola Evans. And that was the creation of what we ended up calling HL Base, which was a training program for lawyers joining our business in really early on, helping them to get those business skills and think about social impact. And that was voted the, you know, in one of our competitions to see, well, what innovations are coming out. That one year was voted the most interesting innovation. And I think that was an amazing way of thinking about how do we train our lawyers? How do we bring people in right from the get-go to be thinking about business skills, not just thinking as a lawyer, but just thinking as a business, real business advisor and thinking about social impact. That has been immensely successful. We've had hundreds of lawyers going through that now. And it creates a whole cohort of people who do have that sense of purpose in their business, the way they think about clients and what sort of advice clients are looking for. And it encourages lawyers to ask different sorts of questions than they might have done otherwise. So for me, that was one of the most almost ahead of its time. Another one, just to give you an example, would be work allocation, which sounds very boring, but actually is immensely important because if you allocate work well, you achieve so many different things. I know I'm preaching to the converted because we talk animatedly about this before, but it enables you to make sure people are busy enough, but not too busy, that you develop teams for clients, that you focus on making sure that your diverse lawyers get those opportunities that you put a range of people in front of clients. It's a well-being tool. And when we did that, was it hugely successful a few years ago when we first introduced it? It was quite hard to really get traction with it. Whereas now today, it's become something that's just much more accepted and normal. So looking back on it, some things surprisingly were a bit ahead of their time. Absolutely. And I know that Let's Go, you both led at a a global level, but also in your then role as UK managing partner, you kind of did some real hands-on activity. Do you want to give some examples of that? Because I think they're great examples of how you motivate people to get engaged. Yes. So Let's Go was about sharing with everybody what we were trying to achieve in a business, the concept of innovation, the concept of ideas coming from anywhere. And so here in the UK, the way that we did it was very old-fashioned. It was getting together face-to-face in a room. And it was literally about inviting every single person in our business in the UK to come to a face-to-face session. And what we did was to share with everybody what we were trying to do. And then sitting around the table, we were asking people, well, what are your ideas? What do you think we should be doing as a firm? And what are you prepared to commit to doing yourself? But the piece about it that was really special was that you would have the most senior partner sitting next to APA, sitting next to somebody in a BD team, sitting next to, you know, you get it right around the table. And what I loved about it was that some of the most interesting ideas came from the most unexpected places. And you could see some of our most senior partners just absolutely overwhelmed and sort of taken aback, if you like, by where some of the ideas were coming from and how people could build on ideas. So we had this concept of what we called green light thinking, which was lawyers are very good at saying, yes, 
but, which kills an idea. And so we encouraged everyone to think, yes, and how do you build on an idea? And okay, maybe that idea goes nowhere. But sometimes people would come up with something that was really quite bizarre. But as you built on it, it came into a more interesting idea. But the consequence of it was everybody felt really valued and important and that their opinions counted. After one of these sessions, Stephen, I got an email from one of our PAs in the London office who gone back to her desk and she'd seen that a printer wasn't working. And she said, just want to let you know, before that session, I'd have just walked on by. After that session, I felt actually that was my responsibility to sort out that printer and I did it. And so that was the impact on one person was quite powerful. Do you want to talk a bit more about diversity, inclusion, sustainability, well-being? I mean, there's a huge list, lateral hires, pro bono, et cetera. And just around big thing together with your other day job, how do you focus and select and, and motivate and encourage others to kind of get involved and do the right thing and all those sorts of things? Well, it's early days. The starting point, though, is to say that delivering on our commitments to diversity, inclusion and responsibility is one of the firm's five strategic priorities. So having that framing for what I'm doing is really critical. So that gives a mandate to the role, if you like. But how do you go about it? Well, the starting point was to engage quite a lot of people in developing our global plans for each of these areas, finding people from around the world, involving them in setting those global plans, which were then signed off by our International Management Committee. So that was a a starting point for engagement, if you like, and getting the bottom-up, top-down sort of view on what were the really important things that matter going forwards. In terms of driving change in my new role, I think there are two ways. I mean, there's a cultural piece, but actually, let's take diversity and inclusion, for example. It's really hard to change behaviors. I think it's really critical to make changes to your policies and your processes. And just to give you some examples, we have set some external targets as to our expectations for the proportion of our partners who are women who are minorities and who are LGBT plus, for example. But then it's about changing your processes in order to make change. We've introduced a new pitching policy, which requires in any pitch, at least a third of the people on the pitch must be from underrepresented or diverse. And if you have more than one partner on a pitch, at least one of those partners must be a woman. So that's a way of really driving change where it matters. Another example would be that we've recently introduced what we call diversity and inclusion hours. So these are a number of hours that our lawyers can spend on important diversity and inclusion activity. And the purpose behind it is that we treat those hours as equivalent to chargeable hours for client work for bonus purposes. So that means that we are recognizing Diverse people tend to do more of that stuff and should be recognized for it. And we're trying to incentivize everybody. So I just wanted to make the point that if you want to make change, working on the cultural piece is massive. But I'm a real believer that you need to make process changes to help drive that cultural change. And in a law firm, you need to focus, in my mind, on a whole range of things, but very particularly on how do you drive the work opportunities and the client relationship building opportunities equitably to people because that is getting that experience and that exposure is what helps you to be promoted and become a partner ultimately. Getting engagement on these issues though, Stephen, is not difficult really because 
for so many people in business today, people really get that if you are a diverse and inclusive and responsible business, people will want to come and join you and work with you and stay with you. Clients will want to work with you as well. And at the end of the day, all the evidence emerging is that you will be more successful, more profitable business if you focus on making sure that you are truly a diverse, inclusive and responsible business. Every boardroom is interested these days in ESG type issues. That's what people want to talk about. And I think when you lift it to that level and think about what's happened over the past year around the world, the pandemic and everything that we're facing, you'd have thought that some of that would go backwards, but it hasn't. There is a growing recognition that businesses will invest in corporates that are really getting this right. And it matters. Youngsters joining businesses want to work somewhere which has a purpose, which means that they want to get out of bed in the morning and that they believe in the place that they work in, that they buy products that they believe in. So I think that this is here to stay and matters front and center to people. Our clients really care about this. The questions that we get from clients around the world, we've been answering more and more detailed and lengthy questionnaires about diversity and inclusion for a long time now. I can't tell you how quickly we're getting more and more questions on the broader sustainability agenda, whether that's what's your policy on net zero, what do you do about waste, what's your policy on modern, you know, all of it. Quite detailed answers from our clients is just growing and growing. So there's a huge expectation. People are trying to drive change through their supply chains. You have to focus on this. In my view, my very strong view, it's the businesses who get that you need to have a purpose and you need to drive this sort of change that will be highly successful. And if you don't get it, I ultimately don't think that a business will survive. I think that's right. A bit like innovation in a way, whilst people might not know what it is, they kind of get that it's necessary and they understand and they buy into the concepts of it. Ultimately, what you're trying to do is you're trying to influence behavior because we all come from where we come from. We're all learning. And we get it wrong. There are really hard conversations that are happening. The killing of Sarah Everard and the reaction here in the UK. And I've seen some young white men in our business, in my view, very bravely trying to tackle that and to share a view and a perspective. And I salute them for it because I think it's really important for people to engage in these conversations. And we will all say the wrong thing or what's perceived to be the wrong thing at times. But boy, much more important to have the conversation than to remain silent. Just in terms of bringing this together and kind of, I always like to ask people to kind of offer a a bit of a tidbit or a word of advice or a word to the wise. Ultimately, what we've talked about is really you being a lightning rod for change, (laughs) both in terms of redefine and now in terms of your new role. Anyone who's kind of looking at driving change themselves and taking this on as you have, what's the biggest learning that you can share with them in terms of how to approach this? I would sum it up in two words. Be brave and be resilient. Be brave because you're pushing boundaries and be resilient because some people won't like it, will find it hard, won't get it, and you just have to keep going. I'm sure that will be fabulously useful. Thank you very much, Susan. It's a real pleasure. Tune in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and elevateservices.com. 